0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to be back with you again. Um, I've been praying for you as a congregation during my time off, and I really hope that you have been staying encouraged in the Lord and in the gospel. Uh, I also uh, hope that you were uh, blessed and encouraged as much as I was with uh, the preaching that Charles gave us over the past four weeks on the subject of Christian hope. Um, I thought it was just uh, an excellent time in the Word and in worship as well. Going forward into the fall, our roadmap is to spend uh, the remaining Sundays in August uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, this is a series that uh, we're, we're entitling Encounters with Jesus. And then beginning in September, uh, we will be, Lord willing, will be launching into a sermon series that will focus on the nature of Scripture. So I'd ask you to please be in prayer that God would use these Sundays uh, for his glory in a powerful way and that we would continue to be strengthened in his word. Well, before we dive into uh, today's text in John chapter 1, let's pray together. Father, we're asking uh, this morning that you would show us wonderful things in your word and Lord, in showing us those things that we would uh, not just hear them and walk away unaffected, but that you would uh, help us by your spirit to be obedient to your word, um, to glory in the Jesus of your word, uh, Lord, and to grow to love you more and cherish you more through what we hear this morning. We pray your help as listeners. I pray your help as the preacher, and uh, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. In the latter part of John chapter 1, we have record of the calling of the first disciples of Jesus. So it's here that Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathanael begin their walk with Jesus. What we want to do this morning is concentrate especially on the part where Philip and Nathanael begin to follow the Lord. And even more specifically, the main part of our focus this morning will be on Nathanael and his interaction with Jesus. And so we're going to dive in uh, today uh, right off the bat. We're picking things up at John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, so in other words, the day after Andrew and Peter had begun to follow Jesus, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. And said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, of course, Philip would become one of the twelve, uh, along with people like Peter and Andrew and James and John and the rest. And it says here in verse 44 that Philip was from Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a small town located on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, and the name Bethsaida literally means fishing house. F.F. Bruce suggests that Fishertown uh, captures the meaning of Bethsaida. In any case, Bethsaida, where Philip comes from, is the same fishing town that Andrew and Peter had originally come from before they moved to Capernaum. Philip is from Bethsaida. Jesus finds Philip from Bethsaida, and Jesus beckons Philip, in very simple terms, to follow him. And then watch what unfolds in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So what happens here, notice, is that Philip, he's a brand new disciple who has just been found by Jesus. Now Philip goes himself, and what does he do? He finds another disciple, this person named Nathaniel. So there's a principle at work here. New disciples go out and they bear witness about Jesus to others, and then others begin to follow Jesus as well. And what Philip indicates here as he talks to Nathanael is that he had been involved in a process, in a process for some time. He had been involved in a process of looking for, watching out for the Messiah. And watching out for the Messiah based on what he read in his Hebrew Bible. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Well, sure. In the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, Moses prophesied, didn't he? He prophesied that a prophet like Moses would come along someday in the future. Isaiah the prophet had spoken of the future coming, we remember the Christmas story, of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, And Isaiah also had spoken of the coming of the suffering servant. He'd spoken of the coming of the branch of David. And of course, the other prophets all throughout the Old Testament, they also had prophesied the coming of the Messiah in a variety of ways. Well, here Philip says to Nathanael, guess what? You'll barely believe this, but we have found him. We found the Messiah who was prophesied in the pages of our ancient scriptures, in the pages of the Hebrew Bible. Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. But now watch Nathanael's reaction to this assertion that Philip makes here. Nathanael says in verse 46, very famously, can anything good come from come out of Nazareth? Now let's just pause briefly here and let's talk about Nathaniel. Who was Nathaniel? The name Nathaniel, interestingly, it does not appear in the lists of the 12 that we have in our Bible. Some scholars make a fairly strong argument, I think, that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. So the idea that these scholars put forth is that Nathaniel, and Bartholomew are the same guy with two different names, which if true would mean in fact that Nathanael in our text is actually one of the 12. He's Bartholomew. Whatever the case, over in John 21 verse 2, we're told there that this Nathanael who we meet here, this Nathanael was from Cana in in Galilee. It could be that Nathanael... He's from Cana. He he takes pride in being from Cana rather than being from Nazareth. It could be that Cana and Nazareth were rival towns, and so hence Nathaniel's rather disparaging comment here about nothing good coming out of Nazareth. Or it could be also that because Nazareth was not mentioned anywhere in the Hebrew Bible, not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament, that no fulfillment of prophecy could attach to Nazareth, at least in, in the thinking of Nathaniel. certainly there's no promise that the Messiah could come from Nazareth. And so again, he asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth of all places? Well, notice when Philip hears Nathanael, as Nathanael makes this rather snide remark, uh, Philip doesn't argue with Nathanael. Philip simply answers Nathaniel's remark by saying this, come and see. Come and see. Just, just come with me. Come with me to Jesus, Nathaniel. Set your eyes on Jesus yourself. Uh, listen to what he has to say. Reserve judgment until you do that. Come and see. Come with me and see. Now, What we notice as we move from uh, verse 46 to verse 47 is that there's nothing here that says um, something like, even though Philip desired that Nathanael come and see Jesus, uh, Nathanael was hesitant and told Philip that he'd think about it and maybe get back to him. There's nothing of the sort here. What we have instead is an immediate Venture out to Jesus on the part of Nathanael. There's no hesitation in Nathanael. Nathanael just eagerly goes to check this Jesus out. We could only wish that our churches were filled every Sunday with people like that. People who were laser focused on wanting to check Jesus out as they came to worship. People who who were eager to be with Jesus and listen to Jesus. People who mean business with Jesus as they come to worship. But of course, the reality is that people come to churches these days for all sorts of reasons other than wanting to do business with Jesus. And I hope that's not the case with you and me. So the question for us is, what is our primary motive in coming to worship on a Sunday? What's our primary motive? Is it to socialize after the service? Is it to critique the musicians, critique the preacher? Or is it to do business with the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ? I pray that each of us would check ourselves here and with the spirit searching our hearts, uh, let's do a refresh of our motives. Well, let's go forward now to verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, listen to what Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Wow. Now, I want you to just imagine something with me here. You're at home one day, and you're thinking to yourself, all by yourself, you're thinking to yourself, you're not saying a word to anybody. You're thinking about how much you enjoyed last night's chicken dinner. And then suddenly, in the middle of your thoughts, just as you're thinking about this great chicken dinner, the phone rings, and there's a person on the other end who you have never met. And that person says to you, Yes, that chicken dinner was great, wasn't it? I think that would be rather terrifying, (laughs) in fact, and it would be very strange. How did that stranger on the phone know what I'd just been thinking about? How did that person have access to my inner thoughts? It would be terrifying. Well, I think that sort of shock, that sort of surprise would be what Nathanael was feeling as Jesus looked at him and said to him, having never met Nathanael face to face, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Notice that Jesus makes a specific claim here about the inner character of Nathanael. Jesus here makes a supernaturally informed claim about Nathanael's character. Jesus nails it. On his very first meeting with Nathanael, Jesus affirms the truth about what sort of character Nathanael has. Jesus says, Nathanael, you are a person in whom there is no deceit. Now, what's interesting here is that in the Gospel of John, in this same Gospel of John, there are several places where we are told that as Jesus comes into contact with people, he can perceive their inner life, their inner character, their inner secrets. So some examples, John 2.25, it tells us that Jesus knows what is in man. He knows what is in man. John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, Jesus knew that the Samaritan woman had had five husbands without the woman ever mentioning that fact. John 6, verse 70, Jesus knew before anything happened with Judas that Judas was, in the words of Scripture, a devil. And it's the same here at John 1.47. Jesus knows the inner character, in this case, the positive inner character of Nathanael, having never met Nathanael until now. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. But there's even more going on here with these words of Jesus. Listen to this. Again, what's Jesus doing here? He's celebrating the fact that there is no deceit to be found in Nathanael. Well, here's a question. Can we recall an Old Testament character who was the opposite of Nathanael? A person who was known for his deceit and his trickery. Jacob is that guy. Jacob, in fact... The Greek word that's translated here in John 1.47 as our English word deceit, that same Greek word is found in the Greek Old Testament uh, version of Genesis 27.35 where Jacob's deceit is described after Jacob did what? After he very craftily stole the birthright of Esau and the blessing. Jacob had operated in deceit. And interestingly enough, as we are looking at John one forty seven here, what happened later on in the Jacob story, during that wrestling match that Jacob had had with God, what happened is that God renamed Jacob what? Israel. Isn't it interesting that in our verse, Jesus says that Nathanael is an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. It's like there's a purposeful comparison being drawn here between Nathanael, who is an Israelite indeed with no deceit, and Jacob, who was named Israel and who did deceive. Well, let's go forward now and let's see if this allusion to Jacob's story gets even more interesting. I wonder if it will. (laughs) Verse 48. After Nathanael hears Jesus accurately describe his character, Nathanael having never met Jesus before, Nathanael replies to Jesus, How do you know me? And I think Nathanael said these words very soberly and probably with a little fear in his voice. How do you know me? Jesus then replies, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So before Philip ever went to Nathanael to tell Nathanael about how he had met Jesus, Jesus already had Nathanael on his radar. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael had been sitting under a fig tree, doing what we don't know. Perhaps praying, perhaps reading the scriptures, perhaps daydreaming. We aren't sure. And Jesus saw him there. And Jesus discerned right there that Nathanael was an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, as we go forward to verse 49, I want to remind you that just a few verses earlier, Nathaniel, we saw, Nathaniel had done what people from Edmonton, like me, like to do uh, to people from Calgary, especially if there's a hockey rivalry in play. So in Edmonton, we might say something like, can anything good come out of Calgary? Uh, Well, Nathanael had done something similar. He'd sort of worn his heart on his sleeve. He had disparaged Nazareth. He'd essentially said out loud, nah, the Messiah can't come from backwards, Nazareth of all places. But now, friends, only three verses later, what I want you to notice here is the radical change. We could call it a breathtaking transformation. Transformation in Nathanael's perception. Now Nathanael looks at this man standing in front of him, this Jesus of Nazareth, and Nathanael says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Apparently something good can come out of Nazareth. So blown away was Nathaniel at how Jesus had displayed that supernatural insider's knowledge of Nathaniel's character. So blown away was Nathaniel that now, without hesitation, Nathaniel confesses Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the long awaited King of Israel who was to come in the line of David. What a change of heart! Nathaniel has had in only three scant verses. It's amazing, isn't it, what an encounter with Jesus will do. And then what we notice here, this is very interesting, we notice how charmed Jesus is with what has just happened in Nathanael's life. I love this verse. Jesus, I think here, he's probably got sort of a wry smile on his face. Jesus says to Nathanael, listen to what he says. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? It's almost like Jesus says here, wow, that was quick and effortless, Nathaniel, I didn't have to perform a single miracle for you to ha- to, to, to show faith in me. I, I didn't have to spend an hour or two with apologetic arguments or th- a theological presentation to get you to come to faith. All I said was, I saw you under the fig tree, and then Nathaniel willingly, obediently, happily Very immediately, without any further questions for me, you've confessed me openly. You've confessed me confidently as the Son of God and King of Israel. You know, it's always been amazing to me, uh, as I've walked through the years as a Christian, it's always been amazing to me the different speeds at which people come to faith. Some are definitely, like Nathaniel is here, they're quick to come to a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ with very little instruction, with very little argumentation leading up to their conversion, while other people on the opposite side of the spectrum can be in a church for decades under sound preaching before they finally come to a living faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I say chalk it up to God's mysterious ways with people. Some people he brings immediately to faith, Others, uh, they wait decades before they will. Jesus says to Nathanael at the end of verse 50, you will see greater things than these. What greater things will Nathanael see, Jesus? And our Lord gives the answer in the final verse. and We want to camp here for a little bit. Verse 51, Jesus says to Nathanael, Amen, amen, in Greek or in English, truly, truly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you. And here what we notice in the Greek, it's interesting, the word you has gone from the singular, referring to Nathaniel alone, now to the plural. Now the word you refers to all the disciples and by extension it refers to us. I say to you all, is the idea. I say to you all, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, we've already been primed, as it were, in verse 47. We've been primed that the story of Jacob is echoing in this part of John's gospel. So in verse 47, we remember Jesus purposely had brought Jacob to mind when he described Nathanael as an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now in this climactic verse, verse 51, the story of Jacob comes back again with gusto. So let's talk about Jacob just for a moment, just to refresh our minds on Jacob, part of his story. We remember that in Genesis 28, after Jacob deceived Isaac to get Esau's blessing, Jacob then went on the run, didn't he? He went on the run from Esau, who was obviously incensed at Jacob for what Jacob had done. So now Jacob was on the lamb. he's running as a fugitive up to Haran, which is hundreds of miles away from his home, and he's running in an effort to get away from Esau. Near the start of that journey, Jacob stopped for the night at a place called Luz. And Jacob proceeded then, he was tired, to drift off to sleep. That's when Jacob had his famous dream about the stairway to heaven. That stairway in the dream was resting on earth, we remember, but it went up to heaven and angels were busily going up and down the ladder. Up to heaven, back to earth, up to heaven, back to earth. It's a thoroughfare that goes from earth to heaven. The stairway, the stairway itself acted as a go-between, as a connection, as a link between earth and heaven. And Genesis 28.13 says either that God spoke to Jacob from the top of that stairway or God spoke to Jacob beside the stairway. The Hebrew there can go either way. But the important point is that God's presence with Jacob was a major part of the dream. God's presence with Jacob. In amazing grace, God is promising in that passage his presence with the deceiving scoundrel Jacob. Amazing grace. God was present there with Jacob. And God proceeded in the dream to reiterate to Jacob the promises that he had made to Abraham. And in that speech, God specifically promises his presence to Jacob. God says to Jacob, I'll read you the verse, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Isn't God great? and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God promises Jacob his presence. Well, Jacob wakes up from that very powerful dream, and he's aware in his waking now that God is there with him which causes Jacob to construct a little shrine there. Jacob puts together a little makeshift temple long before the building of the actual temple in Jerusalem. And Jacob calls that place El or Bethel. House of God is what Bethel means. House of God. So just notice in that little summary that we just gave of that part of the Jacob story that we have three basic components. Genesis 28. Number one, first component, we have the stairway from earth into heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. Number two, we have God's presence with Jacob and the promise of his presence. And number three, we have Jacob building a little Uh, what we could could call a pre-temple temple. And Jacob does that under the powerful impression that God was present with him there and that heaven and earth were indeed linked. Stairway, presence, temple. Now we're in a position to listen to Jesus again in verse 51 of our passage. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, as my ministry is just kicking off here in John's gospel, we're in John 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, you disciples, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus here is talking to the disciples, and he is making an obvious and very clear allusion to the story of Jacob. But do notice, friends, what's missing in this verse as we compare it with that part of the Jacob story that we just talked about. What's missing here in verse 51 is any mention of the stairway or the ladder, from earth to heaven. What we have here is something that replaces the stairway, and that something is actually a someone. It's the Son of Man. It's Jesus himself. Jesus says here that the angels will ascend and descend from earth to heaven and back to earth And they'll do that not on the stairway of Jacob, but on the Son of Man himself. What's the idea? The idea is that now the person of Jesus becomes the connecting point, the link, the thoroughfare, the pathway between earth and heaven where the stairway had served that purpose in the dream of Jacob. The main point is that the incarnate Jesus, in the incarnate Jesus, heaven and earth intersect. I'll say that again. In the incarnate Jesus, heaven and earth intersect. And the presence of God that Jacob experienced in his dream. The divine presence that was next to the stairway or on top of the stairway, that divine presence is now found where? It's found in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the link between earth and heaven. Jesus is the mediator between earth and heaven. He is the way, as it, he says in John 14:6, He is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way between heaven and earth. Nathanael, who had been compared to Jacob in verse 47, just get into his headspace here for a moment. Nathanael is standing there. He's listening to Jesus say this mind-blowing thing. He's looking Jesus in the eye, and what's he looking at? He's looking at the ladder between heaven and earth he's looking at jesus nathaniel is standing there in the presence of god and jesus will be with nathaniel won't he he'll be with nathaniel and with the other disciples and with us just as god was with jacob and there's no need for nathaniel and the others here to build any sort of physical shrine to jesus as Jacob had done uh, to God with God in, in Genesis 28. No need to build a shrine here. Why? Because Jesus himself is the temple of God. The person of Jesus is where the divine presence resides. And in the very next chapter of John's gospel, Jesus will make that very clear. Just read John 2:21. When you get a chance, Jesus is the temple. The fact is, friends, that the person of Jesus supersedes the old physical temple in Jerusalem. Where the temple had served as the place where heaven and earth were linked, now that place is Jesus himself and, by extension, his church. As Gerald Borchert says in his commentary on John, Nathanael was face to face now with none other than the personal embodiment of Bethel. I like that. The personal embodiment of Bethel. Jesus himself is the house of God. Glory to Jesus. Now, just as a quick aside here, and I've stressed this before, but when we come into the church building, we do not come into the house of the Lord. That's bad theology. Jesus and the people of his church are the house of God. According to the New Testament, the house of God is a living organism, with the chief cornerstone being Jesus. Back to verse 51. You will see. Remember when Philip said, come and see. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Philip says, come and see to Nathanael. And now Jesus says, here's what you'll see in me what will you see? You will see glory. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on me, says Jesus. You'll see strangely glorious things. You'll see heaven opened at my baptism. You'll see me teach with a strange, almost fearful authority. You'll see miraculous signs that are going to flip your everyday world upside down. You you will see me rescue. You will see me save. You will see me heal. You will see tangible displays of my grace, tangible displays of my mercy. You'll see me, says Jesus, live a sinless life right before your eyes. And then climactically, you will see my atoning death on Golgotha where I will reconcile sinners to God and you'll see my resurrection from the dead and my ascension to the Father's right hand. And then you'll see me return in glory to bring final and full eternal redemption to all my children. What is your understanding of Jesus Christ and who he is? When you think of Jesus, did you think of Jesus today? When you think of Jesus, when you go to Jesus in prayer, what is your actual perception of his identity? In verse 49 of our text, Nathaniel showed that he had a fairly high view of who Jesus is was it's pretty commendable nathaniel's view of jesus nathaniel says again that jesus is a rabbi first of all that is nathaniel understood jesus as a jewish teacher an esteemed jewish teacher second nathaniel confessed in that same verse that jesus is the son of god and the king of israel that is Jesus was the the, the promised Messiah and the promised royal one who was to come in David's line. But the question is, in that infant day of Nathanael's faith in Jesus, did Nathanael go far enough? Is Jesus more than simply Rabbi, Son of God, and King of Israel. He, he is all those things, to be sure he is. Those titles all fit Jesus, but he is more. Jesus teaches us in our passage that he is, in Frank Thielman's words, he is, listen to this, the very means by which the heavens are opened and God is revealed to those below. That's who Jesus is. Again, Jesus is the very means by which the heavens are opened and God is revealed to those below. Yes, when Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. When Jesus acts, God acts. When Jesus does, God does. When Jesus is present, God is present. What is your perception of Jesus? Do you have, friend, a high view of Jesus that is in accord with Scripture? What we love to do at Snowden Baptist Church is exalt Jesus, bring us to a high view of Jesus Christ and who he is. Do you understand Jesus Christ to be the only connecting point, the only staircase between your situation on earth and the Father in heaven? Do you understand them that way? And if so, how will that change both the posture of your prayers and the content of your prayers this very week? Let's pray together. Father, your Son is glorious we thank you for this part of your revelation that helps us see Jesus, see the glory of Jesus, catch a new sight of the grand vista of Jesus and how magnificent he is, who he is. And Lord God, I pray that a high view and a glorious vision of Jesus would follow us wherever we go this week, whatever we do, whoever we talk to, may we glory in Jesus internally and with our mouths and with our hearts. Lord God, may this be a Jesus-glorifying, Jesus-centered week, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.